within the book of Acts, you get uh, right off the bat, you have uh, Acts 1 and Acts 2. Acts 2 is basically uh, Peter standing before the crowd and then 3,000 people were added to the numbers that day. And then you fast forward, you have Acts 4, and in Acts 4, Peter and John were standing before the Sanhedrin. They just healed somebody, and the courts were basically trying to figure out how to stop the gospel of Jesus from spreading. And so you kind of fast forward a little bit, and that's where we get started in Acts 6. So in Acts 6, I want to take a small pause for just a second, and I want you guys to think of three people in the the present time, in the past, um, maybe in the Bible. Think of three people, all time, excluding Jesus, who you would like to be like. If you don't have anybody off the top of your your head, that's okay. Just take a second, think of somebody. So if you're looking at biblical people, a lot of us would think of Luke, Paul, maybe Moses, that we would like to be like. Um, Perhaps there's some more modern-day people. I think of more modern-day people. Um, It's easier for me to... um, associate with more modern people. So I think of people like Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonk, if you don't know who Reinhard Bonk is, I encourage you to look him up. He's got some awesome material. Or maybe you think of someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, I encourage you to get familiar with that name, look up his information, read one of his books. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian during the Holocaust who stood against Nazis um, in Germany. Awesome dude. He's got some awesome books. There's books on him and about him. But that's kind of who I think of when I think of someone I want to be with. Someone who's willing to stand against the regime, stand against the the Antichrist, the the people who are against the church. I want to stand against those things and I want to stand firm. But a lot of us, and I bet very very few of you guys, unless you just happen to remember um, Pastor Steve's sermon from last week, would think of Stephen throughout Scripture. Stephen is an interesting person, so basically what I'm going to do today is try to convince you guys that you should look up to Stephen as somebody who you would like to be. And so, um, we first learn about Stephen in Acts 6, and everything we know about Stephen is between Acts 6, 7, and 8. It's the complete story of Stephen. And so, um, again, like I said last week, if you guys were here, a little bit of this is going to be a review, so I apologize for that, but those of you guys that weren't, this will all, this all be fresh. So the first thing that we learned about Stephen is in Acts 6, and it says that he was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So basically what's going on in Acts 6 right here is, the twelve disciples were finding that they couldn't do everything. I know that's shocking, right? Like... The pastor can't do everything within the church. Because there's days where the pastor throws out his back like this ball, and he can't be here. The pastor can't do everything. So the disciples were recognizing they couldn't do everything. So the Hellenists began complaining. And the Hellenists, um, they were Greek-speaking Jews. They were Jews who um, used the Greek translation of the Old, Test- the Old Testament called the Septuagint. The Hellenists were often considered outsiders. They were discriminated against um, because they had spread out from uh, Judea and from Jerusalem. They began to take on the culture around them. And so in contrast, 
the Hebrews used the Hebrew language. They kind of prided themselves that they still spoke the language of their forefathers. And they were able to actually worship at the temple. So we have a contrast between the Hellenists and the Hebrew Jews. And so the Hellenists began to complain that they were being discriminated against. And that their widows were being neglected in the daily distributions of food. It's kind of where we have this set up in Acts 6. And so then the disciples, like I said, they recognized they needed some help. And so they needed help so that they could focus their full attention on spreading the gospel. And so that's where we pick up in Acts verse 3. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. And let's skip forward to verse 5. It says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. I think it's important to note that all seven men that they select here bear Greek names. So, even though the Bible doesn't go into as much detail as this, we can deduce that the seven people that they had picked were also Hellenists. They basically picked seven people to represent the Hellenists because they were being discriminated against. I think that's an extremely important piece of information, and the Bible even goes in to say, and it explains um, Nicholas as a proselyte of Antioch, and uh, a proselyte is someone who converted and most likely wasn't even circumcised as a Jew yet. So it's basically going into a lot of detail to explain that these men were not um, Hebrew Jews, but were most likely Hellenistic Jews. That's extra biblical information. It's information we can deduce from the Bible, but it doesn't necessarily go to as much words to explain that, but we can safely deduce it based off of the information we get. And so I want to continue in verse 8. Verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. As you can see, I skipped a few verses. I skipped around here and there for a point. And so for the sake of authenticity, I encourage you to go back on your own and read this for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, because I can deduce whatever information I want to out of, out of the Bible and out of Scripture, and I can take things out of context. And it is your job as Christians to read it for yourself to make sure that it says what I'm telling you it says. I always tell our students, go and read it for yourself. Don't just take your pastor's word for it. Make your faith your own faith, because my faith can't save you. You've got to make it your own faith. And so because of the fact that I am skipping around, I need to take a second and encourage you guys, read it for yourself and make sure it's saying what I'm telling you it's saying. But my reasoning for skipping around is I want to make something painfully obvious. I want to make it about as obvious as I possibly can. So I skipped around so it would be fresh each time I read one of these verses. And what I'm trying to show you guys, starting out in verse 3, it describes the people they would choose as being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then in verse 5 it says, Stephen was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8 it says, Stephen was full of grace and power. And if you would take with, or be patient with me for a second, I cross-reference that last part with Acts 1.8, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come, come upon you. Therefore, the text is making it painfully apparent that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Repeats it. It's repetitive. Throughout scripture, repetitiveness is a 
See, and today, in modern times, we have things like bold, italic, italics, underline, uh, if you really want to get your point across, all caps. Back then, they repeated. They repeated important things. So you see uh, in Scripture where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The repetitiveness is trying to bring attention to it, to kind of like bold, all caps, show you, hey, this is important. So the repetitiveness of this is telling us, and we can deduce, it's important. It's important because Stephen, likely a Hellenistic Jew, wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, was full of the Holy Spirit. We can already begin seeing the Holy Spirit begin to break down walls. The Hellenists had just been discriminated against, and it's saying the Hellenists are also full of the Holy Spirit. There's walls that have been up for thousands of years that the Holy Spirit is already beginning to break down in Acts. Right off the bat, Jesus dies, is resurrected, the church begins to grow, and the Holy Spirit begins to break down walls. And it also is significant because it shows us that Stephen didn't allow the circumstances of his life, the fact that he wasn't a Hebrew Jew, he didn't allow the circumstances of his life to hinder what God wanted him to do. He was all in. Again, going back to it, a lot of times as Christians we get stuck in the mindset that it's the pastor's job to spread the gospel. It's the pastor's job to preach Jesus. It's the pastor's job to do this. But really, um, Stephen's story is showing us that back then it wasn't the disciple's job. It was bigger than that. And so, as we can reflect that in today's time, it's not the pastor's job. He calls and he equips all of us, even those who wait tables. And that was the significance of the seven, was the discrimination that was occurring was in the, the, the aspect of serving the widows. And so, they literally nominated Stephen to wait tables to serve food to the widows. So that's the, the, the story we have building right here. And so, we also need to realize that being full of the Spirit, power, wisdom, grace, and faith that it explains Stephen as having didn't necessarily mean that Stephen didn't face trials and adversities. Because we'll go immediately to verse 9 and it says, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which which he was speaking. Again, we see Stephen had wisdom and the Holy Spirit. But I think it's needless to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, in spite of how Stephen presented himself, in spite of the fact that he was filled with the Spirit, in spite of the fact that he had wisdom, power, all of these things that it explains of, of him, there were still people who tried to come against him. Because they recognized the danger that he represented to their way of life. And they realized they could do nothing about it other than lie. And as you guys might remember from last week's sermon, they did lie. 
So the story goes on to say that they instigated people to lie about what he was saying. Because it can't be someone with truth lying, right? They set up false witnesses, and they brought him to trial, and this trial took place in, and I'm so glad you went into the detail of, of who the high priest was, but this trial went in front of the high priest. The high priest in the Old Testament, they were to come from the bloodline of Aaron. They were often most, or most often chosen following a specific bloodline, or they were chosen by the high priest before them to take over when they died. And this position typically lasted their entire life. However, King Herod made the decision to replace the high priest himself. This decision continued all the way through Roman times, all the way up until the second temple was destroyed. So King Herod was replacing the high, the high priest with who he wanted. I think it said of, of, high, of King Herod himself replaced seven high priests. Typically, this was a position that lasts all the way till death. Seven, um, you can get the picture of what happened in the old ones. They still came from the line of Aaron. However, I think it's safe to deduce that um, King Herod had an agenda with who he chose because of the fact that he rapidly chose so many high priests and they would kill the last ones. So Stephen is standing before the council and they ask him if the charges against him were true. Stephen then responds with, the longest sermon we have in Acts and one of the longest sermons within Scripture. And he basically gives an overview of the history of Israel from Abraham through Moses, recounting the ways in which Israel has strayed away from God's teaching and commands. Stephen then kind of drops the mic in verse uh, 51. And again, I encourage you guys to go back and read the whole speech. It's, it's awesome. But in verse 51 he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? So he stood his ground when attacked. He defended Christ. He defended the Holy Spirit. And he not only presented an argument against the current people standing before him, the high priest standing before him, he also had a comment about their moms. <laughs> but you know when you want to attack somebody, you talk about their mom. So he goes in and he's saying, not only do you prosecute the prophets, so did your fathers and your fathers before them. He's laying down truth and he's dropping the mic right here. I think the council's response should be obvious here, but... Um, just for the sake of vocalizing it, they were pretty ticked off. The scripture that I use um, in the ESV uses the word enraged. The council was enraged. And then one more time it says of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You guys might have missed one more important point right here. And it says that, uh, again, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. You can kind of get a pattern of repetitiveness with this. Stephen then speaks out and says, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, 
standing at the right hand of God. The council then goes full crazy on Stephen by plugging their ears and rushing him out of there. And they stone him. So when I was a kid, I was maybe about five years old, and I did something to one of my siblings to make them mad at me. Um, so to get payback, this sibling, they wrote my name on my bedroom wall. And they pulled on me. And so my parents came in, they thought I did it, and so I got punished. So as a five-year-old in my geniusness, this genius words, I thought if I wrote their name on my wall, they will get in trouble. So I mustered as good a penmanship as I could possibly come up with. And I wrote their name on my wall. And I'm like marching to my mom, got a little bit of pep in my step because I'm like, yes, I figured this thing out. I go tell my mom. My mom comes into the room. She looks at it. And she immediately punishes me again. <laughs> but when we were kids, that's the way we thought, right? So when we were kids, you can probably remember doing this or having this done to you, when someone was saying something that you didn't want to hear, you would plug your ears and scream, I'm not listening to you. How many guys, you guys want to talk about? We would do this even though they had already said what we didn't want to hear. We already knew what they were saying. And more often than not, even as we plugged our ears, we could still hear what they were saying. The reason we did this is because we wanted them to know that we weren't listening to them anymore. Not for our own benefit. We did it for their sake. And so I just get this picture of this grown crowd of of grown men throwing a childish tantrum, plugging their ears, practically yelling, I'm not listening to you, Stephen. While they rush him out of the council. Like, these are grown men. And then I just get this image of Saul standing in the background with his arms crossed. And he's like, yes, this, this immaturity, I, I approve of it. Because as you guys might know, Saul then uses this circumstance to go out and begin persecuting the church. The last thing that Stephen says before he dies is, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Just to be specific, the sin of killing Stephen, not throwing the tantrum. <laughs> Lord, do not hold this sin against them. This event, then, as I just said, is the catalyst for the great persecution of the church upon which Saul pleads. Before Stephen began to speak, kind of going backwards a little bit, in verse 15, it said that his face shone like that of an angel. There are two other significant um, instances within Scripture where people's face shine like that. He uses different words, but it's the same basic thing. Those two people were Jesus and Moses. I think there's a significance then that these Jews murdered Stephen for blasphemy. Moses. And maybe you could deduce that there's some significance between Moses coming from down from the mountain, presenting the Jews with the Mosaic Covenant, 
and Stephen staying before the Jews, presenting them a new covenant established by Jesus. And their faces shone like angels. Stephen, again, likely a Hellenistic Jew, chosen to wait tables because the disciples were too busy to handle everything, full of the Holy Spirit, dies a martyr, witnessing to Jews born in Jerusalem. These Jews who were too prideful to see that Jesus really was who he said he was. What that tells me is that it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your past is like. When we give ourselves to Jesus and we make him our Lord and Savior, we are changed. Because what it comes down to it is there's no secret success as a Christian. Stephen shows us that success is the culmination of trusting Jesus and being filled with the Spirit. Because with Jesus, we have a future, we have a purpose, and we then have the power to fulfill that purpose. My life personally dramatically and drastically changed when I dedicated my life to Christ. Some of you guys might have heard my testimony, you might know my past, but... I was a full-blown alcoholic, heavily medicated for depression, bipolar disorder, and I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Like, I was messed up enough that my issues had issues. <laughs> Statistically and psychologically, I was destined for failure. But Jesus changed my life. And the Holy Spirit changed my life. Healed me. And I am now, today, who I am today because of that impact of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in my life. Because again, with Jesus, we have a future, we have a purpose, and we have the power to fulfill it. So to bring this thing back around, I want you to consider looking up to Stephen as an example of how to live your life. Because even though within those short chapters of Acts, we learn a lot about Stephen. And so I want to encourage you guys to live your life like Stephen. To give yourselves over to Jesus like Stephen. Seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit like Stephen. Be bold as Christians like Stephen. Proclaim the gospel like Stephen. And last but certainly not least, forgive those who have hurt you and come against you like because this story doesn't end with Stephen's death. In verse 8, the text goes on to say that on that day arose a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. This one act from Stephen sparks the rapid expansion of Christianity throughout the entire region. And it is regarded as one of the most important events to spread the gospel of the early church. Seemingly overnight, the gospel spreads to the entire region, and in an attempt to silence the gospel of Jesus, it instead causes its rapid expansion. And what it comes down to is no matter how dark the day seems, no matter what the future looks like, no matter what the past represents, no matter how big of an obstacle you have before you, or how big an obstacle seems to be, with Jesus we have a future, we have a purpose, and we have the power with the Holy Spirit to fulfill it. And in order to do that, we have to live our lives like Stephen. 
We have to give ourselves over to Jesus, our whole lives over to Jesus, like Stephen. We have to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like Stephen. We have to, as Christians in American, in, in American Christianity, and in the way that America is presenting itself, itself and setting itself up, we as Christians have to be bold, like Stephen. Proclaim the gospel like Stephen. And I left this one out before, but I think it's one of the most, if not the most important aspect of Stephen. Love like Stephen. In order to love like Stephen, you have to forgive like Stephen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to, to get together as Christians to hear and read about and learn more about what your word says of the early church. Lord, we thank you that the story of Stephen is written out for us. We thank you that we have examples that we can look up to throughout history of people who have been bold for you, people who have forgiven for you, people who have loved the way that you ask us to love. And so, Lord, in this place, I just ask that we as a church, as the Christ community church, that we as a body would love like Stephen did. That we would be bold like Stephen was. That we would proclaim the gospel like Stephen did. Lord, that we would forgive like Stephen did. Lord, I pray that if there's any unforgiveness on our hearts right now, I pray that you would bring that to our brains so that we can acknowledge it and begin working on forgiving that person. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that our, our past don't matter. What matters is who you tell us we are. Who you made us to be. Who you have destined us to be. So Lord, I pray that you would forgive us and help us to forgive others. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as you guys leave uh, today... You said there was a carrying dinner, correct? Um, I want to encourage you guys again go back, read Acts <coughs> 6, 7, and 8 in its entirety. And throughout this week, uh, as you read it, I like to do the, the soap approach to reading the Bible scripture, observation, application, prayer. And so I go through, I read the scripture, I observe what it's telling me, I then apply it to my life. And then I pray over that. I encourage you guys throughout this week, go back, read Acts 6, 7, and 8, and go into 9. And begin to apply Stephen's story and what Scripture says to your life and what that would look like for you to live like Stephen this week.